Our reading is from Genesis chapter 8, verses 1 to chapter 9, verse 17, which you'll find on page 9 of the Church Bibles. That's page 9. So chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. Now the springs of the deep and the floodgates of the heavens had been closed, and the rain had stopped falling from the sky. The water receded steadily from the earth. At the end of the 150 days, the water had gone down. And on the 17th day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. The waters continued to recede until the 10th month. And on the first day of the tenth month, the tops of the mountains became visible. After forty days, Noah opened a window he had made in the ark and sent out a raven, and it kept flying back and forth until the water had dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground. But the dove could find nowhere to perch because there was no water over all the surface of the earth. So it returned to Noah in the ark. He reached out his hand and took the dove and brought it back to himself in the ark. He waited seven more days and again sent out the dove from the ark. When the dove returned to him in the evening, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Then Noah knew that the water had receded from the earth. He waited seven more days and sent the dove out again, but this time it did not return to him. By the first day of the first month of Noah's 601st year, the water had dried up from the earth. Noah then removed the covering from the ark and saw that the surface of the ground was dry. By the 27th day of the second month, the earth was completely dry. Then God said to Noah, Come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground, so that they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number on it. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives, and all the animals and all the creatures that moved along the ground, and all the birds, everything that moves on the land, came out of the ark, one kind after another. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and... Taking some of the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, Summer and winter, day and night, will never cease. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky, on every creature that moves along the ground and all the fish in the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it, 
and for your lifeblood I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from each human being too. I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between you and between me and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth. Ben, thank you. Long reading. Great passage, though. Um, I want to take you back to when I was nine years old, and it was a family day out at Camber Sands. Anyone here been to Camber Sands? Brilliant, yes, one of East Sussex's finest beaches, beautiful long stretch of beach. And the whole family were there with me that day, including my, my uh, younger brother, who was two years old at the time, very fond of my little brother. So um, when he said, see, swim, you know, I did the big brother duty and popped him up on my shoulders and made the long walk down to the sea. The tide was out. And uh, we, we played and splashed around for a little. Once we'd done our sort of sea thing, we turned and headed back to where mum and dad were up on the beach. Except the tide had come in a bit. And if you know Camber, you, you'll know what happens as the tide comes in. You get these, these ridges, sandbanks, uh, and then you get these channels filled with water along the beach. Now, I, I could have taken a long way around the sand, but I'm not a kind of guy to take detours if I don't have to. So I take the shortcut through one of these pools of water. Water was up to my ankles. That was fine. Kept going. Water was up to my knees, up to my waist. My brother Paul, he was fine. He was up on my shoulders, but I kept going. To this day, I have no idea why I kept going. It wasn't until the water was up to my neck, and when I took the next step, I couldn't feel any ground underneath me. I was treading water, and that's pretty hard to do when you've got a two-year-old up on your shoulders who doesn't quite understand the trouble we're in. I genuinely was in big trouble. And I thought, this might just be it. And as I disappeared under the water, with a great shout and cry, I called for help. And it was probably just a couple of seconds later, these strong arms grabbed me and lifted me out of the water and put me 
on safe ground. I've no idea who he was. I was far too embarrassed in the moment to say thank you. I just sort of scurried on up the, up the beach with my brother. But he probably saved my life. It's a very odd moment to look back on. Why did I keep going? Why didn't I take the, the longer route around the beach? Now, the honest answer is because I hadn't seen the danger. It was just some shallow water. I got through it okay. On the way there, it'll be fine on the way back. That, that is why we need to see what we saw last week. If you were here, you'll know we, we looked at the horror of the flood, the awfulness of human sin, and the fearfulness of a holy God who must judge sin. These verses were key verses last week. Chapter 6, just flip back over the page. Chapter 6, verse 11. Look down with me. Genesis 6, verse 11. There on the left-hand side. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people of the earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. Now, there's a a lot that can be said about these chapters. We're going to try and notice some bits tonight as we go through, but, but we've got to start here. If we can't see the danger, then we don't know why we need rescuing. That, that was me at Camber Sands. Couldn't see the danger. Blind to it. But actually, that is so easily each one of us. Blind to the consequences of our sin. God is love. It will be okay, we say. But we completely ignore God is just. God is holy. God is righteous. God will not turn a blind eye to my sin, my proud rebellion against him, my my determination to live my life my way. So I've called our first heading tonight, The Ark of Rescue, because that's where it begins. The journey of faith that's pictured here in these chapters, it begins with a conviction of God's judgment is coming, and I need rescuing. But it's so easy for us to be blind to that need. Thomas Watson, he was a 17th century pastor. He wrote a wonderful book called The Doctrine of Repentance. You can get it free in a PDF online. That's a bargain. Or it's 99p on Kindle. Uh, In it, he writes these words. He says, where there is no sight of sin, there can be no repentance. Many who can spy faults in others can see none in themselves. They cry that they have good hearts. Is it not strange that two should live together and eat and drink together, yet not know each other? Such is the case of a sinner. His body and soul live together, work together. Yet he's unacquainted with himself. He knows not his own heart, nor what a hell he carries about him. Under a veil, a deformed face is hid. Persons are veiled over with ignorance and self-love. Therefore they see not what deformed souls they have. They're stark words, but do you hear? We need an ark of rescue. If you get nothing else from these chapters in Genesis, please hear that. We need rescuing. 
the ark of rescue. But then the story moves on and we see the act of faith. Our second heading, the act of faith. We're going to notice that these chapters, they're very carefully structured for us. This isn't simply um, Moses jotting down a few thoughts about uh, a flood story that he, he had once heard about. God has very carefully and deliberately given this story to, to Moses in a neat and ordered manner. And so there's lots of repetition here. And look at what we're told. Chapter 6, verse 22. Chapter 6, verse 22. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. And then just over the page, chapter 7, verse 5. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. A few verses later, chapter 7, verse 8. Pairs of clean and unclean animals, birds of all creatures that moved on the ground, male and female, came to Noah and entered the ark as God had commanded Noah. And then again, chapter 7, verse 16. The animals going in were male and female of every living thing as God had commanded Noah. You see, we're not meant to miss this. Four times Noah's obedience is highlighted for us. He knows he needs rescuing. Judgment is coming. He hears a rescue plan from God. And he responds to God's word with obedience. This wasn't Noah saying, how can I save myself from the flood? Hey, family, hop on my shoulders. I've got this covered. I can tread water. We'll be okay. No, this was Noah saying, I have a God who can save us from the flood. He listened and he obeyed. But it's very easy to mistake Noah's obedience for doing, as though he built himself an ark to save himself, as it's all his work. That's not what the Bible tells us. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. That, that is the emphasis here. That, that is the picture of faith. It's an utter dependency on God's rescue plan. In fact, Jesus gave the same answer. In the Gospel of John, John chapter 6, some people come to Jesus. They've seen amazing things that he's doing. And they come to him and they say, what must we do to do the works God requires? Have a listen to Jesus' reply. We need to hear this. We get this wrong. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent you hear that? That, that? that is Noah's faith. That is what his obedience looked like. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. To trust in God's rescue plan. So is that your faith? Are you someone who says, I need a rescue? I know Judgment is coming. I know I am utterly helpless on my own. I can't save myself. I can't build an ark on my own. I can't live the life that I want to live, let alone the life that a holy, perfect God demands that I live. I can't do it. So I'm going to trust in the ark that God sends. I'm going to trust in his son, the one who, who promises to see me safe through death into eternal life. That's Noah's faith. That is the Christian faith, trusting in God's rescue plan. So the ark of rescue, the act 
of faith. And then notice the altar of thankfulness. We can't look at everything in these verses. You can come and grab me at the end tonight if I've jumped over something you've got a question about. But uh, we're going to jump to the end of the flood. Noah and his family, they've been in the ark for over a year. Finally, the, the flood waters recede, the ark hits dry ground, and they're out. Now, what happens then? What would you imagine happens? You've spent a year in an ark with a whole load of animals. I mean, it must have stunk. Follow with me. We're in chapter 8 and verse 18. Chapter 8, verse 18. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives. All the animals and all the creatures that moved along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on the land, came out of the ark, one kind after another. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. And taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. I want to say that is a big surprise. Do you see the surprise in what's just happened there? I mean, if you're one of the animals who just spent a year in the ark, and suddenly you're being sacrificed, I mean, you've done your time in the ark, you're ready to go and repopulate the earth, and suddenly Noah's taking you to be a sacrifice. They were surprised. Luckily, Noah had seven pairs of the clean animals. But ask yourself this, why were sacrifices made? What, What is the point of this sacrifice? Sacrifices were made as exchanges. It was a life for a life. So this moment is a deeply moving moment. As Noah gets off the ark, far from being, whoopee, we're free, let's have a party. No, this faith-filled man, he, he bows his knee to his creator. And he says, I don't deserve this rescue. That's what the sacrifice means, that the animals are dying in his place. Their blood is a picture of his blood, Noah's blood, which should have been shed. That the sacrifice reminds us of Noah's sin. We're going to get a graphic reminder of Noah's sin next week, actually. But, but here's the first clue, that the flood has not dealt with human sin. In fact, there's another clue. Those birds that, that Noah sent out of the ark, they're a bit of a puzzle, aren't they? A raven and then two doves, and you think, well, you know, what's going on there? And we spend quite a lot of time on the birds in the account. Well, I think the point is that the raven is an unclean bird. When we get to Leviticus and the law, we're told that the ravens are not clean birds. So as you've got this raven circling the floodwaters of the earth, going round and round and round, just a little picture for us that the problem continues. Human sin, the uncleanness of this world. It's not actually being completely washed away. Read on with me, verse 21 of chapter 8. Verse 21, The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. This is, this is the massive moment in salvation history. God smells the aroma of the sacrifice. He smells death. And his righteous anger at human sin is satisfied. Which is a slightly uncomfortable picture, isn't it? 
a God who is angry at, at your sin and my sin, but whose anger is satisfied by the stench of death. But hear the promise that is made. He says, never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. Those are wonderful words. A couple of weeks ago when Bob White was here talking about the flood, a question was asked about God promising not to flood the the earth again. And isn't there a problem? We've still got floods. But I want to say that there's more going on here than God simply saying there won't be any more floods again. He says, never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. A few amens from parents there. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. Do you hear what's going on? This is a big moment. This is God saying, I'm going to find a different way to deal with the problem of sin. I won't do it this way again. It's not to say God made a mistake in the flood. He didn't. You and I need the flood to understand the horror of our sin, the judgment that awaits. But God says, I'm going to find a new way. And and then he continues, start of chapter 9, God tells Noah, it's fine to eat the animals, but it's okay not to be a vegetarian. Sorry if that's controversial. Um, but he mustn't eat the blood. I'm not going to talk about that. It's worth reading Acts 15 alongside that. Think about what's going on there with not eating the blood. But then God says these words. Chapter 9, verse 5. They're massive verses. Chapter 9, verse 5. Have a look down at these with me. They're big verses. God says, And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from each human being too. I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Whoever sheds human blood by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. Now, two big things here. Firstly, you are immensely valuable. You see that God God has placed his image in you. A picture of his divine character. He's placed it in you and that gives you immense worth. From the tiny fetus to the frail and elderly, human life has immense value. There's massive ethical implications there. But notice this. What is your objection to God in these verses? When God says, whoever takes human life, he must be punished. You, you want to say, well, I don't want to say, what's God just done? He just destroyed the world. He just shed human blood. Now, I need to tread carefully here. God's the divine author. He alone is the one who has the right to give life and to take life. It's not that he's done wrong, but join together what he's saying here. He's saying, I'm going to find a new way to deal with the problem of sin. And then he speaks a curse against himself. It's as if... He himself, it will be his blood which will be shed by, by human hands. A life taken, a life given for many lives. In Ephesians 5, we read these words. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children 
and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. They're nice words, but have you ever stopped to think about that phrase? A fragrant offering and sacrifice? See what's going on there? God smells the aroma of Christ's death and his righteous anger is satisfied. That's why this altar that Noah builds, it's an altar of thankfulness. It's an altar that says, I don't deserve this. A life for a life. The innocent killed, that the guilty might live. It's a big moment in the Bible. Certainly, whoever designed our beautiful stained glass windows thought so. Halfway up on the left-hand side, there's the rainbow. And what is going on? They've captured the moment of sacrifice. The ark of rescue. The act of faith. The altar of thankfulness. And we'll just finish with the God of grace. The God of grace. I know there are struggles here. We really do find God's righteous anger hard. I do. Easy to be left thinking, well, can I trust this God? Can I really trust him with my life? This summer, the uh, Tuckwell family were heading off to northern Italy, Lake Garda. We've been there before. We love it. The highlight of Lake Garda is on the eastern shore. Uh, towering above the lake is Monte Baldo. It's this vast mountain. And uh, thankfully, there's a cable car that takes you up to the top of Monte Baldo. Here's the cable car. Uh, we'll be doing that this summer. As you go up the side of Monte Baldo in the cable car, it is stunningly beautiful, but you can't help but look at the cable because it is just one cable and you're dangling quite a long way above the lake. Your whole life on that one cable and you're left thinking, can I trust it? Have they checked it? Can I trust this God? My, my whole life depending on him? Is he safe? Well, I just want to finish by noticing three little details about these chapters in Genesis. Three things that help me answer this question for myself. Firstly, I mentioned these, these verses are very neatly structured. And you can see that when we look at the timescales that we're given. I've, I've got a slide here that sort of helps us see it. So beginning of chapter 7, seven days of waiting for the flood. And then you get another seven days of waiting. And then you get 40 days of the flood. And then you get 150 days of the waters rising. But then you get 150 days of the waters receding and 40 more days of waiting and seven more days of waiting and then another seven days of waiting. It's very carefully structured. And we're meant to look right in the middle. That, that's what this structure is doing. It's drawing us into the middle. So look down with me. Chapter 8, verse 1. This is what's in the middle of the structure. Chapter 8 verse 1, where we read, but God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were there with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. That's what's in the middle. But God remembered Noah. Not in the sense of God sort of nodded off while the flood was happening. What comes to and suddenly thinks, oh my goodness, completely forgot about Noah and his family in the ark. Oh, what am I going to do about them? No, God remembered Noah in the sense that God held firm to his covenant promise that he had made to Noah. God 
remembered Noah. When, when the Bible tells us that God remembered, that's what it means. He is a promise-making, promise-keeping God. He remembers his promises. So when he says to you and I, I will remember your sins no more. We know that he is a promise-making, promise-keeping God. A God who remembers. And then notice the language in these verses. Um, Chapter 8, verse 1, God sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. And you hear that, and what does that remind you of? The wind over the earth. Any echoes? Genesis chapter 1, Genesis 1, verse 2, you've got the Spirit of God. It's the same word, Spirit, wind, over the, hovering over the waters. And then chapter 9, verse 1, then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, be fruitful and increase in number on the earth. And you're thinking, that rings a bell too. That's what he said to Adam and Eve. And we could go on. Dry land appears, vegetation appears, birds begin to inhabit the earth. It's very deliberately giving us this account to to picture a recreation moment. This is a fresh start. This is new life. Because that's what God does. A world wrecked by sin, a people facing his righteous judgment. But this is the God of second chances. The God who takes that which is dying and brings about life. Which leads to the final detail, and I'll end here. You need to be a bit of a numbers geek to, uh, to spot this final one, but I think it's deliberate. All these dates that were given in the account, why are they there? Why are they so precise? Did you notice them? Chapter 7, verse 11, we're told, in the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth and the floodgates of the heavens were opened. You hear that? What, why the detail? Because it means you and I can work out what day of the week this was all happening on. They worked to a 30-day calendar, 12-month year. So the flood was announced on a Sunday. And the flood begins on a Sunday, just as creation in Genesis 1 began on a Sunday. And the flood it ends on a Friday, just as the creation in Genesis 1 ended on a Friday. And again, it's a Friday when the ark comes to rest in the mountains of Ararat, just as God rested after he finished his work on the Friday. The passage throughout is whispering recreation, new beginnings. It's brilliant when we see that, that that is the flow of the story, the horror of human sin, the judgment that comes from a holy God. But then there's a rescue. And after the rescue, there's a fresh start. There's new beginnings. I love that. It means I don't have to hide away my sin. I don't have to pretend that it's not there. That, That is my instinct every time. But this God, the God who calls each one of us to live our lives fully depending on him, just like the cable car, he he says to you and me, if you ask me to, I will remember your sins no more. Past, present, future sins, I will remember them no more. Is that not wonderful? And then thousands of years on from Noah, as we arrive at another Friday, we call it Good Friday, 
and again, God's righteous anger is poured out. But this time, just as he promised, it's on himself, on his son Jesus Christ. And we come to another Sunday, Easter Sunday, the start of a new creation, when the chains of death were broken, and new life, hope, and forgiveness, they they break in to this new creation for all who will trust in God's rescue plan. You really can trust in him. He's a wonderful God who loves to rescue us. Why don't we pray together? Uh, God, our Father, you know our struggles and you know the secrets of all our hearts. And yet you are the God who loves to rescue. Please teach us to be people who see the horror of our sin and cling to the rescue that you give to us in Jesus. Make us like the cable car, trusting fully in you, knowing your goodness, not doubting your love, but delighting in your promises because they are wonderful promises in Jesus. We praise you for him in his precious name. Amen.